You hear that? That's the sound of millions of people panicking to get gifts. But not you, because you're getting all your gifts this year on Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. Drizzly lets you send beer, wine, and spirits to almost anywhere in as little as 60 minutes, or scheduled up to two weeks in advance, making it the ultimate gifting hack for the holidays. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veterans Show. Thank you, as always, for joining us noon on Sundays here on 710 KNUS. Coming up, we've got a three-part interview with a Vietnam veteran for tours in combat. The United States Navy veteran will talk with him straight ahead. As always, our program is not possible without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number, 303-999-9999. And just a heads up, if you had anything to do with Camp Lejeune, get in touch with Boson Law. You may have awards coming to you as in rewards monetary reward. So keep that in mind. And we welcome Noel Lane to the program. And uh, before we get into anything, Noel, I want to say welcome home to you and thank you. Well, thank you. Why are we talking with you today? Because it's important for me as a veteran and the 12 veterans in our group to let the world know, and this is huge, that the VA has divided and conquered veterans in order to reduce their contingent liability for their future care. There's two parts of the VA, Stefan, and and they're important. There's the caregiver part. The caregiver part of the VA, they're as good as any doctor or nurse or practitioner you've met anywhere. And it's like the bell curve. There's good and bad on both sides, but the caregivers are fabulous. Now the other side is the administration. The VA, I believe, exists for self-propagation. I believe that it fits the same bell curve. There's 80% of them are good people that are trying to do their jobs and keep and move forward. And there's the sides on either. But the VA administrators don't exist for the veterans. They exist to perpetuate their own jobs. I made four deployments to Vietnam. When I came back, I went about life and moved on. Around 63, I was, I play poker. I've been playing poker with the same group for over 30 years. And when you say 63, I just want everybody to know that you mean, not 1963, obviously, you mean about 63 years of age. Yeah, I'm yeah. 72 now, so mm-hmm. it's a long so we're, time. Yeah, we're talking about a, a little less than a decade, but still, uh-huh. back to poker. 
And uh, one of my poker buddies, two of my poker buddies in the group, one was a department head, VA psychiatrist, here at Claremont at the old hospital, and the other one was the manager of the Boulder Vet Center. And one day I got taken to lunch by the two of them and told I needed help. I didn't realize it. My wife had talked to me, but you don't realize how you're changing because it occurs at a point in time that's not planned. All of a sudden, it's like my inputs are wrong. This, you know, I'm not reading the situation right. Were you, did, were you one of those that, uh, did you get angry easily? Oh, yes. Rage is a huge issue. Uh, and you learn how to control it. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned managers being a, a, a negative term. I don't know what I can say on TV, on the <laughs> That's radio. Fine. but. Uh-huh. Uh, It's not that you're that term. It's that you become so focused and you realize what cause and effect is. You start trying to do things to eliminate the effect of the cause. Mm -hmm. You know, you become – my kids used to joke with me, Dad, we go to the stock show and you make us line up against the wall by the windows and you tell us where we can go out if the crowds get too big. I go to Kia the crowds overwhelm me and i have to escape Mm -hmm. it's you go in unconscious of that and all of a sudden it's closing in around you uh our group healthcare. in my group it's all wars combat group we had a korean veteran he passed away we have two Vietnam vets. I think you, I mean, uh, oh, World, World War, II. War II vets. I know Mr. Blaine and Mr. Whipple. Yes. They've been on this program before. Yeah. And they're in our group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Blaine, as you know, it's for 77 years he's been trying to get the VA to deal with what they did to him back in 1945. Yep. And at, in Iwo Jima. In Iwo Jima. As a Marine. Yeah. What happened, COVID set everybody back. And the VA, like many government businesses and other businesses responded, they shut down operations. When they shut down, they left their veterans hanging. People could work for home. You do a video conference. It's not the same as talking face-to-face with someone. So we go through that for a couple years. We can't even meet in the Denver Vet facility because they've said, no, you don't, you've masked, all of this. We're meeting in parks. That's where you guys met? Yeah, in a park. In the winter, in the summer, made no difference trying to keep things going. So now our counselor, who put this group together well over 12 years ago, let me step back. How does this group work? Every week, the individuals meet with the same counselor. Every week, following that counselor meeting, you meet with the combat group. The combat group then takes, and you're counseled to interact with each other. You ask me, do I have rage? Yes. Well, if you haven't experienced that type of rage, it's hard to address it. Mm -hmm. But if the man sitting next to you says, no, listen to what you just said. And look at your face and how you react. All of a sudden you go, wow, 
I didn't know that. Yeah. Let me stop you there because I want to make sure that people know who we are talking with. Noel Lane, United States Navy, a torpedo man in Vietnam. Not one, not two, not three, four deployments to Vietnam. From 1969 to 1973, you were a senior in high school when you enlisted? I joined in the middle of my senior year in high school. They had a program called the 120-Day Delay Program. So you joined. I joined in March. I graduated in June. And what I figured in my mind was that gave me rate advancement, pay advancement. I'm getting 120 days extra. So I graduated in the middle of June on a Friday. On a Monday, I get a call from my recruiting officer. No, how would you like three more weeks of summer vacation before you go active duty? Hey, I said yes. Of course, most people I lived people on would. the beach in California. So I did my three weeks extra. We go into the induction center. Stephan, it was amazing. I'm standing there. I'm swearing in. I said, wait a minute. The contract's wrong. This says four years active and two years inactive. I joined on the kitty cruise, which if you joined before your 18th birthday, you got out on your 21st birthday. You did three and three instead of four and two. Well, when my uh, service officer asked me if I wanted three more weeks, when I was down at the induction center and I said, the contract's wrong, I said, I joined on the kiddie cruise. The guy said, no, they canceled that program three weeks ago. Funny they didn't tell you, though. We're going to take our first break here on the American Veteran Show. And when we come back, we'll continue with Noel Lane. I want to make sure that some of you Vietnam veterans, uh, some of you veterans in general, I want you to know about Noel's group. And, uh, and what they are doing, and that is not going quietly into the night when it comes to uh, the Veterans Administration. The Veterans Affairs Administration, I know that some of you absolutely despise it. Noel, I thought, was absolutely forthcoming, uh, dividing it into two parts. The care is, is at times top-notch. The administration, on the other hand, as we have talked about over the years on the program, is a completely different animal. We will continue with this United States Navy veteran, a resident of Lakewood. That comes up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We continue the American Veteran Show on this Sunday with United States Navy veteran, Vietnam veteran, and we welcome him home, Torpedo Man Noel Lane. And uh, I think I'll just say he's in his early 70s. And as you heard in our first segment, or if you're just joining us, within the last 10 years, four deployments, his service, it caught up with him just a little bit. And I have heard this story so many times over the last couple of decades. And, Noel, I, I, I just so thank you for coming in and, and being real and talking about this. Look, you're, you're in your senior year of high school, you decide to, to join because you got a sweet deal. And then, well, the deal has kind of changed. Specifically in what you're comfortable in talking about, did what you saw from, from that high school senior's mind – you may have imagined what Vietnam would be like. Was there any comparison to reality? No. There's no reality that prepares you to see people hurt. No reality. Uh, you can't prepare for a traffic accident. 
You can't prepare for war. It's something that all of a sudden is there, and it's on you. Your training is what keeps you going, but your mind literally starts to go, I shouldn't be here. What is this? This is more than I expected. And it's nothing to do with fear or trepidation or anything. It's that this is overwhelming. The input is so intense. You don't quite understand all that's happening to you. And you're so young. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know? You know, there's that, too. I was engaged when I went over. Uh, The 1950s engagement party, you know, the aunts, the uncles, and everyone. I got my dear John letter on my second cruise. You don't even know what those mean until you get it, and you're like, whoa, what happened? How did this happen? And meanwhile, you're in a war zone. Yeah. Four deployments, I I know that, you know, and I so respect, I don't want to get into detail, but uh, let's just say you're familiar with uh, incoming rounds, and outgoing rounds from the destroyers that that you were on. And again, I just can't emphasize, you know, your late teens, early 20s, and, you know, you most certainly as well, when you enlist in 1969, you can't escape what had happened in 1968. You heard about the Tet Offensive, even if it didn't fully register. You hear about the, the thousands of Americans coming home in body bags, and you are so... Again, you're so young. Well, let me tell you a different story on that. I grew up in Montebello, California. Went to a Catholic school for eight years. In 1964, if you think Johnson and Kennedy, the Green Beret, that's when we were sending advisors in. I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. And you go to school with the same kids for eight years. So you know their brothers and sisters. Can I say a name? Please. Susan Wesselman, who I went to school with for eight years, her brother, who was a baseball co- You know, we all knew him from school, became a lieutenant. The second lieutenant went to Vietnam. He was killed, helicopter issue, in Vietnam when the headlines were one serviceman killed in Vietnam. In 1973, January 28th, I was still in Vietnam. Think about that. That's seven years later. It gets different when you put it together. I tried to tell, I put together a booklet to tell my kids about This is what happens to you in war. This came from our counselor. You do a three mirrors. Who were you from 1 to 18? What happened to you in the two to four years that you were active duty? And then what's your third mirror? What did it impact you in your future life? Mm. Well, in that, I'm telling my kids about this. And I told them a story about January 28th that it was the 27th in Paris when the accords were signed. It was January 28th on the Quaviat River, the DMZ, where we fired the last shot of the war. Two parts of that. A plane went down, one of ours, and as I remember, two pilots were in that plane. It was a two-seater. They went down on one of the islands off the Quavia River. This is 10 minutes before the end of the war. And remember, my memories are 
disjoint a little bit, but this is basically what happened. For 10 minutes, they screamed for help. Come get us, come get us. As I was told, they were overrun by the North Vietnamese and killed. Okay, 10 minutes before the end of the war. I have the plan of the day from January 28th. It says, general quarters, da-da-da, 8 o'clock, commence holiday routine, ceasefire. The war ended at 8 o'clock with the statement of ceasefire. Those two guys were dead 10 minutes before. I turned to my kids and I said, how terrible is that? All four of them and their spouses, oh, that's, that's just gross. That's the worst thing in the world. What about the other 58,000 that were killed in the 12 years before? They were just as wasted as those last two. 10 minutes, 12 years, Susie Wesselman's brother. That's what veterans deal with in their heads. I made four deployments. In my end of my third deployment, I realized we're still blowing up the same stuff we blew up before. We just keep coming back. What's wrong with this picture? In 1972, in November, we were on refresher training in San Diego making an emergency deployment to Vietnam. I submitted a chit so I could go vote. It was Nixon's second election. I wanted to vote for him because he was taking the troops out of Vietnam. I watched four years of change, 70, 71, 72, and 73. The war was wrong. It was wrong because it wasn't being fought to win. It was a political war. The left, the right, they used it for their own, just like they're using it now. Makes no difference. Everybody has an issue. But it's young people that pay the price. It's civilians that pay the price. Well, you think of this, Noel. Again, Noel Lane, United States Navy veteran. Vietnam, four deployments, lives in Lakewood now. Four children, 10 grandchildren, 40-plus years of marriage. Your wife, by the way, needs to be um, crowned queen of the universe, I'm sure, for, for, for what you guys have, have been through. But, you know, it is so true what you say about it's going to catch up with you eventually, right? And I want to really address in our next segment uh, with you, Noel, about – you're striking a chord, I guarantee you, with a few people that are listening right now. And others, you know, people, you know, they may go to their deathbed, uh, veterans, uh, in denial or not. So that's everybody else but me. But I want to make sure that people know in listening to your incredible story and, and you being so forth, uh, forthright about it all, how they can kind of join your group. And I know we'll talk about the Denver Veterans Center. But as we wrap up this segment with you, the fact is – you did go through this, but there is that also that gap between you get out and you you start a successful career. Do you think, like even unconsciously, you just put the war after even four deployments, you had to put it to the side because you had to come back and live? Yes, you had to come back and live, but I'll tell you how it affects. It affects everybody different. With me, I never could establish permanence other than my wife. That's huh. my permanence. My, the string of the balloon that floats around, as long as I'm holding on to that, I'm okay. But what is that permanence? The thing I learned about Vietnam, it's like Afghanistan. There's no end date. 
because the politicians, the ones that are driving the car, have a different agenda. And they're wasting lives because it's convenient to their agenda, not because we're going to accomplish a task, not because there's a cause and effect, but because it's an agenda. Well, and you're not looking, and I know you'd agree, Today, as we you know look at last year, our, our debacle and withdrawal from Afghanistan, there's not a, okay, here's our objective, and once that objective is obtained, war is over. That's, that's not how it's been for the last two decades. We'll continue with Noel Lane, United States Navy Vietnam veteran, lives in Lakewood now, kind enough to give us so much time on the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs. We continue the American Veteran Show. We continue our discussion with United States Navy man uh, Noah Lane from Lakewood. Just a tremendous storyteller, and uh, I greatly appreciate your time. And you were a torpedo man. No torpedoes used in, in Vietnam, but you were in ordnance, and you took it, and you certainly delivered it in uh, four deployments and uh, aboard destroyers. Let's get back to kind of how we started and why we're having you on the program. First of all, if you raised your right hand and wore the uniform, that's your eligibility to be on this program. So thank you. But you are part of a group that includes all the way back to two World War II veterans from Iwo Jima that I've literally traveled to Iwo Jima with. And they're tremendous. But we're talking about over the decades, this group – I would imagine you all are lockstep. You all are, to use the pun in military terms, you're all marching to the same beat, right? You are lockstep in we've got to make sure that our voices are heard. And I'm assuming, too, you're doing this for for future generations of military members as well. More than that. And if you were to talk to every member in our group, our group used to be 22, over COVID, it's down to 12. We've had two deaths in our group. So it's it's fading away. We're also in our 70s. Mm-hmm. One guy in our group is 78. What we decided as a group is our time's passed. Will we ever be able to recreate the last six years? No. Things changed. But what we're seeing, because in our all-wars group, we had two Afghanis. We had a Somalia vet. We had Korea vet, as I mentioned mm-hmm. to you. They all have the same problem. And the same problem is the administration of the VA, whose real goal is to use actuarial tables, my projected lifespan, to reduce contingent liability to the VA for obligations to the veterans under its care. It does that by denying that you were in Vietnam, and that's why it's been 10 years I'm on appeal. Mm. So do you feel like this, um, you know, and you certainly have experienced post-traumatic stress, and and I believe you said you were 100%. Is this like a fight that, I don't know, you you know you can't win, but you're still going to try, or is this in your eyes, in the eyes of the members of the group, that if there's enough attention and if there's enough noise, if you will, that maybe you can crack the code, so to speak? Yes, And, and it goes back to a friend of mine who has a bronze star, and he looked at me one time and he said, you know, when it's still one click to get back to camp, 
and you can't move another step. You're so tired or so you still have to walk the last mile. Amen. Yeah. The VA does not like the vet centers across the country because they're autonomous. And over the last few years, the VA has been absorbing those vet centers or exerting control. So in our particular case, our counselor retired in May. That had been announced for 18 months. He's 76 years old, so you know he's kind of getting to his prime, okay? The VA did not start looking for a replacement counselor for us until two months before his retirement. And they knew a year and a half earlier. Yeah, but worse than that, they also know, and this was all disclosed by the director and the deputy director of the VA, who's oversees us, it takes six months, typically, to get a qualified person on board. Sure. Well, what happens in that gap, right? Well, we were dropped in May. We got no contact from the VA, no contact from the vet center. We, on our own, started meeting every Monday for breakfast at the Westwood Inn just so that we could work together and keep our network. Remember, our counseling was structured on individual group overseen every six weeks by a psychiatrist consistent every week yes for me almost and when that goes away i mean do you feel like it stopped like that that's abandonment it is abandonment and when we pointed out abandonment to john woods the deputy director overseeing us oh no 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 we're doing it was lip speak CYA, Uh everything. Then we got his boss to come in, carry a crown over. She did the same thing. We had it all recorded. We asked questions. What about this? What about that? What we were able to do as a group is we, they first started off, no, you're out. We're leaving you on the roadside. Now, then it was, Well, we'll be here every two weeks. Then John Wood says, and I'll kick the first one off. Last Monday, we wouldn't let them stop there, and we've got them committed. We will resume this coming Monday every week except holidays. They will rotate with John Woods, the deputy director. Remember, this is all occurring with Kerry Crownover, his boss. And what's funny about this is... uh, Carrie Crownover, the debt, uh, the district director, gave me her boss's name, but couldn't remember the email address, wrote it down wrong, and John Woods knew it. None of them will correct the email addresses, so we're assured that it's going it's forward. Just, it's game playing with you. Um, we're going to keep on this with you. I do want to ask as we wrap up, so there's somebody out there listening right now going, what he is saying, I have experienced. What can people do? Where can they go? How can they get in touch with your group and to make sure that there is no more abandonment? The Denver Vet Center's phone number is 303-326-0645. Um, you have that off the top of your head. <laughs> I have a feeling you've called it a few times. I've been going there seven years. Yeah. But let me quantify this. I am 100% PTSD. I was awarded that in 2018. I had to fight for it, but I wasn't. I never applied for PTSD. I applied for 
peripheral neuropathy, and joint and soft tissue destruction caused by exposure to Agent Orange. Let me just point this out, Noel. You finally are out of your contract July of 1973. You are not given 100% disability with post-traumatic stress disorder until 2018. That's typical for all Vietnam vets. It may be typical. It is unacceptable in, in my eyes. We've got to wrap up this, but we're going to keep in touch with you. And maybe, just maybe, our time together, we can raise a few red flags or an additional number of red flags. I think that I would appreciate that. And I can tell you every veteran out there appreciate what you're doing. What's real critical about this is that if a veteran dies in the middle of the process, let's say the day before they're approved, all of their benefits are gone. Anything that would have gone to the family is gone. So what the VA does is deny and delay. What's so crucial about this, a veteran should automatically be acknowledged as having these conditions, and then the VA proves that they don't have them. You should not have to fight. You should not have to fight. But I spent four years to get the VA to acknowledge that I was even there. And I have a combat action. How do you get that without being there? Um, You know, that's that's more a statement or a rhetorical question than a legitimate question. Uh, We will most certainly, sir, keep in touch with you. Uh, Again, visit the Denver Vet Center, and that's on Lowry? It's on First and Quebec in the old Lowry. old Lowry. Uh, So they can mention your name, Noel Lane, and and this this veterans group, and we'll keep on them. Uh, I thank you for your service. I welcome you home, and I'll give you the final word. Go ahead. We placed in the last year... 10 out of 12 veterans with a law firm that represents them in order to get 20% of their back pay. The VA authorizes this. Nobody for 10 years in the VA will ever tell you, told me, who to go to, how to do it, what to do it. They go to the VSOs. The VSOs aren't trained because the appeal is done under VA administrative law. If you don't have an attorney that knows, you lose. Yeah. Which means actuarial tables work for the VA. The contingent liability goes away when you die. Our sincere thanks, and we'll continue our conversation in the programs ahead with Noel Lane, United States Navy, Vietnam veteran. We'll have more coming up. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. We continue this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. And as always, thank you so much for making this program a habit. Visit our newly revised website. It's AmericanVeteranShow.com. Not too many episodes ago, we focused on the Vietnam War for the entire episode. And we do that anytime, any day, especially as we say welcome home to our Vietnam veterans, even 50 plus years later. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the program the author of Triumph Regained, The Vietnam War, 1965 to 1968. Its author is Mark Moyer. And it's a pleasure to have you on the American Veteran Show, Mark. Thank you. Great to be with you. What's the book about? Give us an overview. Well, it's the second volume of a comprehensive history of the Vietnam War. The first one was called Triumph Forsaken. And uh, 
which was published back in 2006. I got pulled into uh, doing work in Afghanistan, Iraq, and in the Trump administration, and it uh, slowed me down a bit. But uh, this now, this one picks up in 1965, and like the first one, I argue that most of what the mainstream academic world and journalists have said about Vietnam is incorrect, and that rather than it being an unjust war that was unnecessary strategically, uh, I argue, in fact, it was a war that was in America's interests, although it was one that we uh, did not fight in the proper way because President Lyndon Johnson refused to take the advice of his uh, generals. When you look at this book, and I'm just reading a little bit of the overview about how how your book overturns, quote, overturns the conventional wisdom using a treasure trove of new sources, has the mainstream media got it wrong? Was there a narrative that was followed that that maybe through your research and connections and your hard work, you, you found out that, wait a minute, time out, that not necessarily was the case? That's right. And I trace some of it to the number of journalists, um, including David Halberstam, Neil Sheehan, and Stanley Carno, who really helped shape the narrative. And it has a lot to do with their own involvement. They were there influencing events on the ground. They actually support this disastrous coup in 1963, which really colors what they do. And then I also, as I talk about in this volume, uh, in 1967, until the middle of the year, there's general support across most of the country for the war. And then suddenly college campuses turn against it. And that is because they changed the draft rules and all of a sudden uh, all these baby boomers are being called. And, and so there's a sudden rise in anti-war sentiment. And then ever after, that whole generation uh, has been divided into the those who went to Vietnam, who tend to by and large agree with my interpretation. And then you have those who did not go and who I think felt obliged to explain why they didn't go to Vietnam and got a medical deferment or went to Canada. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think you get a lot of the distortion. I personally was not born until 1971. So I think I have a bit of distance from it and uh, can be a bit more objective. The author is Mark Moyer. The book is Triumph Regained, the Vietnam War, 1965 to 1968. He's also the chair in military history at Hillsdale College. He's been on, uh, obviously, many, many programs over his career. And uh, you have written articles in the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, etc. You know, when I hear you say about a narrative and then maybe looking at it from a different perspective, you know, the bottom line is, and I'm sure you would agree, the bottom line is the Vietnam veteran himself or herself paid the price. Yeah, and that was really why I got into this in the beginning is because I started meeting Vietnam veterans and they didn't match up with what I was being shown on TV and in the newspapers of these disheveled, disgruntled, suicidal, what have you, veterans. And most of them were actually very positive about their service and then none of that really came across and of course also they they get blamed when they come home from vietnam there's not celebrations and a lot of people criticize them which also just didn't really make sense because you know they're not the ones who are making the decision the politicians who have been elected by the people and and so i think one of the probably the most 
satisfying part of, of writing these books has been that a lot of veterans have contacted me and said, I'm, I'm glad somebody really has written something that corresponds to what I actually experienced in Vietnam. Mark, what's it been like? You know, we talk with hundreds of veterans a year on this program, and over over my three-decade-plus career, I've probably, you know, easy to say, probably two or 3,000 at, at least. Is there a common denominator when you talk with specifically a Vietnam veteran? Uh, yeah, generally there is. I think most of them, the large majority of them, and there's been also polling on this, would say, you know, first I – I was glad to have had the opportunity to serve in Vietnam and, you know, I, I would do it again. And uh, that the real problem was uh, not that we were in the wrong war, but that our, our politicians didn't do the things necessary to succeed. The book is Triumph Regained, The Vietnam War, 1965 to 1968. Its author, Mark Moyer, joins us here on the American Veteran Show. I want to take a really high-level, very simplistic question to you, and that would be, what were we trying to do in Vietnam? That's a good question. Part of the problem with Lyndon Johnson is that he doesn't actually explain the war to the American people, right? and that creates a lot of confusion, but... The fundamental reason was we were trying to spread, uh, to stop the spread of communism. And the, I think every president involved in Vietnam really believed to the so-called domino theory that the fall of South Vietnam would lead to the fall of the rest of Asia. Now that gets dismissed in the conventional narrative by saying, well, look in 1975, Vietnam uh, falls and most of Asia doesn't fall. And uh, as they show in the book, when the U.S. goes in in 65, it's a very different world. And in fact, a lot of what the U.S. does between 65 and 75 will help save the rest of of Asia because it gives people confidence and it leads to a momentous um, counter coup in Indonesia uh, that's especially important. Now, in your book, Triumph Regained, you go specifically 65 to 68. And did you, you know, look, uh, you know, we're right around the same age. And so we are very, very young when the Vietnam War is wrapping up and the fall of Saigon, etc. But when when you look at even from our perspective and, you know, it was it was the generation before us, obviously, that that was fighting in Vietnam, 1968 specifically. My God, man, what what an incredibly tumultuous year, to say the least. Yes, and that's another part that gets misrepresented. You know, we're led to believe that uh, the anti-war protesters at the Chicago National Convention, you know, turned American politics upside down and they really showed people all this opposition. Well, in fact, those pop protesters were... Um, despised by nearly everyone in the country, including most Democrats. And, and at the convention, Hubert Humphrey you know, recognizes there's still strong support in his party and rejects what the liberal wing is uh, is saying about it. In fact, you have strong support for the war through the end of 68, which is something that you know, people try to, to sweep under the rug because it doesn't jive with their notion that this was uh, a hopeless war that American people didn't really care about. 
I'm sure the book is available everywhere you can find books. Again, the uh, the title, Triumph Regained, The Vietnam War, 1965 to 1968. Mark, thank you. I wish you the best of luck with this, and, and hopefully we, we can get you on the program again. You got any others in the works right now? Yes, I'm working on the final volume of this history, so it'll go Vietnam from 1969 to 1975. And I'm um, pleased to have the opportunity to speak to veterans. I said, I really, that's who I wrote it for. Absolutely. Triumph Regained, The Vietnam War, 1965 to 1968. It's author Mark Moyer, and we appreciate his time. You can find out more about this particular book in the trilogy encounterbooks.com that's encounterbooks.com i'm Stephen tubbs this is the american veteran show americanveteranshow.com looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry it's as easy as that If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.